You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. Good morning. Thank you, everybody, for being here. It is a privilege to be one of the elders this morning that standing here before you bringing the Word of God. But I have to be honest about something. There have been times when I felt being an elder was more of a weight than a privilege. I remember the load I felt on my shoulders during the first several months of my first term as an elder here at Oak Hill. The weight of the responsibility I felt in the desire to fix things that's broken in this world. It drove me to despair. My head knew that God could deal with anything, healing those that were in pain, fixing broken relationships that had been in existence for years, taking the blinders off eyes that needed to see the reality of their heart's deceitfulness, and convicting and changing my heart towards the things I had been blind to. Praise God. Have you ever had the experience of going ahead and doing or attempting to do something about without calling out to God in prayer? I mean, after all, God gave us talents and abilities. We should use them, right? He gave us skills. He must want me and you to use them. Surely, I can get this done on my own. I'm a natural doer. This is just how God made me. You want something done? Give it to Alden and get out of the way. Sounds a little prideful, doesn't it? What happens then if Alden can't get it done? And trust me, there is a long list of the things that Alden hasn't got done. The reality is that I can't and never have been able to get it done on my own. The question then is whether I recognize that or not. The other issue is, how does that mindset impact my prayer life? Do I naturally seek God's help, calling out to him in prayer, if, in fact, in my head, I thought I got this under control? I want to believe that I'm not alone in how my prayer life is in direct correlation to my level of pride. Pride that causes us to think we got this when, in fact, we don't get it at all. Whether you just graduated from high school and have decided to go to college, but were unsure as to which college or university would best align with your beliefs in Christ, and you couldn't see how God could use you in a secular university that had accepted you, but you had never prayed about it. When a loved one is in the hospital and you're completely relying on the doctors and nurses to heal them, and you don't call out to God for healing. When your child wants nothing to do with being a believer in Jesus Christ, or even worse, reinvents the truths of Scripture that they have learned to better suit the desires of their heart. And then we didn't cry out to God. When you're about to lead your gospel community for what feels like the millionth time, and you just go it alone once again, 
without asking God to intervene in the hearts of those in your group. Or maybe you need to have a one of those truth and love conversations with your spouse. And your pride gets the best of you because you didn't stop and seek God's will first before having the conversation. Or you get frustrated by the lack of ministry servants for what needs to get done in your area of ministry here at Oak Hill and you have stopped praying altogether. If you need a Bible this morning and you didn't bring one with you, there is one either in the seat back in front of you or at the end of the row laying on the ground. It's important to me that you see God's word for yourself this morning. And as we turn to Mark 9, 14 to 29 this morning, we will see what happens when we don't pray in faith, trusting in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to accomplish what we can't accomplish on our own. This will be the fourth sermon in the second act of the book of Mark. We have covered a lot of ground in Mark so far, but in the second act, Mark is working hard that we would see Jesus Christ for who he is. In other words, Mark is working to help us see Christ as God. Last week, Pastor Ben preached on the transfiguration of Christ. During the transfiguration, we saw fully the divinity of Christ, fully God and fully man, and the disciples that were there, Peter, James, and John, were told by God to listen to Jesus. The disciples thought they knew who Jesus was and what it meant to follow him but they needed to learn to be quiet before him and listen. Leaving the scene of the transfiguration experience where Jesus' divinity is on display, James, Jesus, Peter, and John regroup with the other disciples, the other nine, only to find them in a large group of people. And there's some scribes involved and some others there that are in that group. And pick up with me now in Mark 9, starting in verse 14. We're going to read all the way through it this first time. And when they, they being the um, other disciples and Jesus that came from the Mount of Transfiguration, came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought to you my son, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it, and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can... All things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, 
Come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. As we work through this section of Mark, I see four realizations that lead us to dependent prayer. If we acknowledge these realizations, we will be perfectly set up to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ, because the conversation will be about Christ and his abilities, not what we have done, not about us, but about him. There is no better time than now to share the great news and life-changing events that Christ has shown you. Go give your testimony of Christ's work in your life to that person you have been meaning to share the good news with. Don't wait. Do it this week. And while you're preparing to have the conversation with your friend, neighbor, or coworker, remember today's big idea. Faithfully pray to God. Realizing your dependence on Christ rather than self. Faithfully pray to God, realizing your dependence on Christ rather than self. Reread with, re-read with me Mark 9:14 to 18 again. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. My first realization is we are weak and live in a fallen world. As Jesus returns from the Mount of Transfiguration, he finds his disciples involved in a dispute with the scribes. Verse 14 doesn't indicate what the scribes are arguing about with the nine disciples that were left behind when Jesus, Peter, James, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration. Overall, the intent of the scribes' original aim was in earnest to know and preserve the law and to encourage others to keep, to keep it. But things turned horribly wrong when man-made traditions overshadowed God's word and a pretense of holiness replaced life of true godliness. The scribes, whose stated goal was to preserve the word, actually nullified it by the traditions they handed down, as mentioned in Mark 7.13. The bigger issue that Jesus addresses multiple times with the scribes is that they were hypocrites at heart. They were more interested in appearing good to men than they were pleasing God. I don't suppose any of us have ever seen this in anyone we know. We can imagine the scribes questioning where the disciples thought they got their authority to cast out demons and the disciples exclaiming that they got their authority from Christ. 
And then the scribe's rebuttal of asking, well, who did Jesus think he is? And on and on we go, arguing away. If you want to see the brokenness of the world we live in, just look at the arguing we find in our world. I don't know about you, but I'm so sick of politics, I go out of my way to stay away from politics. Because if you're a Democrat, someone has to hate you. And if you're a Republican, the Democrat must have to hate you. And we're going to argue about things that make absolutely no sense, and we don't even understand what we're arguing about, but we're going to argue about it. Even our children are expert bickers. Every parent has had to say to their child, stop arguing at some point. Our kids didn't need to be taught how to bicker. They just know how to do it. People are prepared to present their case about something without ever seeking to understand where the other person is coming from. We are filled with pride. Want our own way, and left to our own devices, we enter arguments, seeking to make ourselves look good. With hearts that desire being right at all cost, ever since the fall of man, sin is in us. And if left to live without faith and hope in Christ, we would live for flesh desires. And those desires would never, absolutely never, be satisfied. Once the crowd noticed Jesus was present, they became greatly amazed, and they ran up to him and greeted him. This appears to have taken place because Jesus hadn't been there, and all of a sudden he appeared as he enters the scene. And it sort of looks like it kind of happened at the same time that the other disciples that were there could not cast out this demon. Jesus had developed a reputation for healing, and when it appeared, he appeared on the scene, the crowd just naturally went to him. As Jesus engages the crowd, the first to speak up is the father of the demon-possessed boy, whose life has been ravaged by demon possession. Mark gives a lot of time to the description of the boy's pain and the father's desperation. Again, Mark isn't clear about what they are arguing about, but neither the scribes nor the disciples are the first to respond to Jesus' question. It is the father of the demon-possessed boy that responds to Jesus. Talk about brokenness. A demon has taken up residence in his poor boy. He lives with pain and anguish every moment of every day. Satan himself is trying to destroy this boy. Pain and suffering for the boy. Anguish and heartache for the father of the boy. Nothing normal about their lives. The father is desperate to help his son. He came to the disciples with hope, but they were unable to help, despite having cast out demons on other occasions. Back in Mark 6-7, Jesus sends the disciples out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. In Mark 6.13 reads, And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So what happened? Why can't the disciples cast this demon out? What has changed? Well, to fully answer that question, we will need to consider verse 29, which... We're not going to get to but for a few minutes, so stay tuned for the answer to that question. There is so much in this passage that reminds us of our weakness, of our inability and our prideful hearts. 
In the previous section in Mark that Pastor Ben preached from, we considered the glory of Christ. But here, we are confronted with the pain and disappointment of living in a fallen and broken world. That's like spectrums as far apart as you can imagine that Mark transitions from one piece of Scripture in Mark 9 to the next. Many of you here today have experienced the brokenness of this world. You have desired to have your children healed. Your fellow believer be relieved of his or her pain. Desperate, maybe, even to see changes in the heart of a family member or dear friend. Acknowledging the brokenness around us should drive us to see our need for Christ. Desires for spiritual strength for ourselves, for those we love, for our fellow believers in Christ. We can become desperate and discouraged and often wonder where our Lord and Savior is. To rely on Him and His abilities, not on ourselves and our abilities, requires faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I must say, I don't think it comes naturally. He is able, and we are not. God is so much more able than our human minds and bodies can possibly imagine. So we certainly are weak, and we live in a fallen world. This first realization shows us our need for fervent prayer. Sometimes God allows us to feel desperate so that we would know where we need to turn. The weakness and fallenness of this world should lead us to Christ. We also often lack faith in Christ. And that's the second realization that will lead us to dependent prayer. We lack faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as seen in Mark 9.19. Read with me again. And it reads, And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. So who is this faithless generation anyway? Is Jesus telling people he can't stand to be around them any longer? <laughs> Not at all. The Greek word here that is translated generations is used 37 times in the Bible. Although I agree with others that Jesus is speaking directly to his disciples here, it is argued that he could be speaking to everyone and anyone that is within earshot of him speaking. That would also make sense as the point of what Christ is saying is that we, all of us, have been without faith at some time in our lives. Trusting instead in what we feel we can do or what our abilities are rather than the abilities of Christ. Jesus rebukes the faithlessness of his disciples yet again. These are the men he will entrust with his mission to the world. But at this point, they continue to be slow to learn or understand who Christ is. They are persistently weak in faith and in their dependence on God. It occurred to me as I was studying this section of Scripture that the disciples have been walking by sight as they were with Jesus here on earth. They will soon have to walk by faith in Christ as Christ won't be with them physically on earth for much longer. All of us in this room or those watching online have always had to walk by faith. It would be easy for us to cast judgment on the disciples, to think that they must have been really dense. 
when you stop and think about it logically, your mind would easily conclude that Christ is much more capable than you or I. But do we turn to self or to Christ? Do we live in a false sense of security that tells us we can affect a needed change? Do we first call out to God or do we just go into a situation thinking we got this? Our inflated egos in our puffed up heads Give us hearts that trust that we, what we see and have seen rather than what we read in Scripture and should be in awe over. Why is that? Simply said, it's the sin of pride or even a lack of understanding of who Jesus Christ is. Remember that Jesus is attempting to get the disciples prepared for when he won't be with them physically. Jesus' cry of frustration in this rebuke is an expression of weariness which is close to heartbreak for him. Christ is frustrated with his disciples. The lack of faith and hardness of heart showed up on other occasions. It is a measure of Jesus' infinite patience that he continues to instruct the twelve and prepare them for the day in which they will stand in his place and continue his work. Jesus' rebuke is reminiscent of many of the interactions between God and his people in the Old Testament. This is going to be on the screen for you. Look with me at just a few verses from Numbers 14. Verse 11 reads, And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them. And then verse 22 reads, None of the men who have seen my glory in my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice. And then in verse 27, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. And sadly, we may often fall into this same pattern. While God has been faithful, we are quick to doubt his goodness and his care for us and slow to go to him with our needs. Look with me in Isaiah 55, verses 6 to 9. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God speaks through Isaiah here, asking us to call out to him for forgiveness, for us to repent of our sins to seek him in his will. God also makes it clear here that he will pardon abundantly. God's ways are so very different than our ways. We struggle to get our heads around God. His heart is for us. He loves us and wants us to submit our lives to him. Trust him in his will for your life. We need to acknowledge that we can't have faith in God if we don't trust him. 
Faith at its core is trust. Jesus might as well be saying to his disciples, why don't you trust me? If we realize that our default position is to lack faith in Christ, then we can be more aware of when we are operating in this way. It has been said that the first step in change is admitting that there is a problem. Here is the third realization that will lead us to dependent prayer. We can find power in honest faith and sincere dependence on God. Read with me again verses 20 through 24 in Mark 9. And they brought the boy to him, and when this spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can... All things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Mark takes us into some detail about the impact of the demon on this possessed boy. The spirit in the possessed boy immediately recognized Christ and reacted. As soon as he saw him, he knew who he saw causing the boy to convulse and foam at the mouth. The boy fell to the ground and rolled about. It had cast the boy into water and fire, putting the boy in grave danger. For any of you out there with children, I need you to get your head around this scene. I don't know about you, but I go to great lengths to protect my kids. I can imagine being in the hospital bed with this going on, wondering why it's going on and how I'm going to impact it at all. What does Christ do in the middle of this? He wants to know how long the boy has been afflicted with his demon, with this demon. In the middle of the Father's description, of what is going on with his son and how the demon has caused pain and anguish to the boy, Christ shows compassion by simply asking the father how long his son has been dealing with this grave situation. Why is that? Do you think he needs to know in order to be able to judge the right amount of power he may need to cast out the demon? Of course not. Jesus cares about this boy. He cares about the Father. One thing that is clear is that the Father recognizes his need. He comes to Jesus because he has a need, and he is hopeful that Jesus can help. But Jesus senses some doubt. Despite Jesus' sense that the Father is lacking in his belief of him, Christ's character is that of a loving Father. His ways are not our ways. The father asked the question, but if you can do anything, if Jesus can, are you kidding me? Even if the father didn't know this was God he was talking to, you and I know the creator of all things by his very word. 
the God who destroyed the whole earth with a flood, the one who stopped the sun in the sky so Joshua could finish a battle. Yeah, that God. He knew Jesus had healed and cast out demons all through the region. If Jesus can? Maybe he was just being polite and didn't want to assume. Or maybe he wasn't sure he believed the stories he had heard. But how often do we ask the same question? We know he can, but do we believe he can? Do we ask him with confident expectation? Or do our prayers, or lack thereof, betray the doubt of our hearts? Jesus rebuked the Father by saying, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. This rebuke appears less severe than the one given to the disciples, but Jesus calls out a deficiency in the Father's request. While the Father used a qualifier in his request, if you can, Jesus calls for confident faith. After all, all things are possible for the one who believes. While Jesus isn't suggesting that God will grant us everything we ask for, he is calling us to faith. Ask knowing and believing that God is able, that nothing is impossible for him. God never answers out of a lack of ability. God never answers out of a lack of his ability. The words, if you can do anything, indicate that the disciples' inability to expel the demon had shaken the Father's faith in Jesus' ability. What do we see here? When we look at the world and we see things don't happen the way we think they should happen or ought to happen or someone disappoints us, we're reminded of the brokenness and fallenness of this world that we live in. And that's exactly what this scene is telling us. Now think about it. After all, if you were this father, would, you, would it make sense that you would have brought your son who was possessed by this demon to be healed by Christ if you didn't think Christ was able to do the healing? Jesus took up the Father's words of doubt, if you can, to show that the point was not his ability to heal the boy, but the Father's ability to trust in God, who can do what is humanly impossible. Jesus, can challenge, Jesus then challenged the Father not to doubt. Faith sets no limits on God's power and submits itself to his will. Let me say that again. Faith sets no limits to God's power and submits itself to his will. Like the father of the demon-possessed boy who believed Jesus was able to heal his son, we must first have faith that Jesus is able. Can you have faith in someone that you don't trust? Do you struggle to believe that Jesus' Jesus' will for your life is better than your will or plans for your life? Do you trust him? We all deal with this late unbelief. The point is, when our unbelief is exposed, where do we turn? May our response be that of the fathers. I believe, Lord. 
help my unbelief. What a beautiful prayer request. The Father declared his faith, but also acknowledged its weakness. Help me overcome my unbelief. This brings out an essential element of Christian faith. It is possible only with the help of the one who is its object. You can only have faith with the help of the one you have faith in. So when you find yourself with weak faith, pray pray this prayer. I believe, Lord. I believe. Lord, help my unbelief. If we are going to come to Jesus in dependent prayer, there are four realizations we see in this piece of Scripture. First, we are weak and live in fallen world, as seen in Mark 9, 14 to 18. We often lack faith in Christ, as we saw in Mark 9, 19. And we can find power in honest faith and sincere dependence on God, as seen in Mark 9, 20 to 24. And finally, Jesus is willing and able to help those who call on him. Read with me verses 25 through 29. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Jesus notices that a crowd is converging on this scene, and he decides to act. Jesus rebukes the unclean spirit to come out of the boy and to never enter it again, never enter the boy again. Jesus acted even though the father of this poor boy had weak faith. Jesus did what his disciples were unable to do. Satan has no power over Christ. The evil spirit who had tortured this boy for years had no option but to leave the boy. But in doing so, he convulsed the boy horribly as it departed. There the boy laid, limp like a corpse, so much so that many thought he was dead. But Jesus lifted him up. Jesus frees the boy and gives him new life. Jesus accepts the father's confession and extends mercy on the boy. We should praise God that he hears our prayers even when our faith is imperfect. Mark uses parallel wording in the account of the raising of Jairus' daughter as seen in Mark 5, 39-42, as he does here in Mark 9. Jesus takes Jairus' daughter by the hand as he did the now-healed boy and helps them stand up. As the people involved in the scenes appear to believe both Jairus' daughter and this boy are dead. Read with me in Mark 5, 39 to 42. And when he had entered, he being Jesus, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in, and where the child was, 
taking her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumai, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. For she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. So here in Mark 5, as in the passage we just read in Mark 9, we see the imagery of breaking from Satan's power as passing from death to life. Don't miss the imagery here. Death must take place before new life in Christ can be found. To accomplish this in a final, irreversible sense necessitated the death and resurrection of Jesus himself. Jesus paid for what we deserve to pay for through his death on the cross and his resurrection. Christ was willing to do this for us out of love for us a love that we struggle to understand because it is born out of a love that we often don't experience here on earth. That said, Jesus Christ was without, has without question paid for our sin. Jesus Christ has without question paid for our sin. A payment that was required by God, a payment that Christ paid fully and completely for all that have faith and belief in him. Verses 28 and 29 in Mark are the final two verses in this incident, and they explain why the disciples failed to cast out the deaf-mute spirit. When the disciples had entered a house with Jesus, they asked the obvious question to Jesus, why could we not cast it out? Jesus answered by saying, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Wait a second. You mean to tell me the disciples didn't pray? Are you kidding me? The Gospel of Matthew also presents this same scene. You can find it in Matthew 17, verses 14 to 20. But specifically look with me at Matthew 17, 20 with me to see some additional information about Jesus' response to the disciples' question. Matthew 17, 20 reads, He said to them, Because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. It is probably dangerous to put faith on a measuring stick to see who has it, and who doesn't? The main reason that, for that is that the source of our faith is not of our making. Our faith comes from Christ as the Holy Spirit works on us and points us to him. As I had said earlier when discussing verses 20 to 24, an essential element of Christian faith is that faith is possible only with the help of the one who is its object. You can only have faith with the help of the one you have faith in. Help my unbelief, Lord. Help my unbelief. Jesus is driving home the point to his disciples and to us. Do you have the faith in yourself or in Christ? Does your prayer life reflect your dependence on Christ or your dependence on yourself? Do you have a heart of humility that knows it needs the help of God to accomplish his work? Prayer is faith turned to God 
which involves our dependence on Christ rather than dependence on self. As we celebrate Independence Day this weekend, I need for you and me to acknowledge that we are dependent on Christ. And it is right, it is good that we are. May we seek His will, His abilities, His knowledge, and His wisdom, His sovereignty, and may we cry out to Him in prayer. Prayer that sounds like, I believe in you, Lord. Help my unbelief. We often start our gospel community times together by praying through Scripture. You may ask yourself why that is. Well, it's to help us take the distractions of our day that are in our heads and our hearts so that we might be able to focus on the one who is the object of our faith. One of our family values at Oak Hill is fervent prayer, dependent and expectant, as seen in Luke 11, 2-4. It reads, And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Here we see dependence on God in Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. It doesn't say or read, hallowed be my name or my kingdom come. And then we see what we expect God will do and give for us. Remember who is doing something in these expectations. It doesn't say Alden provides his daily bread. The object of this prayer is God, not self. He is the one who deserves our worship. He is the one who provides. Put your focus on Christ. Depend on him. Call out to him in prayer, trusting in him, not in yourself, having faith and belief in him, not your own abilities. Praying to God reflects a heart that trusts and believes that he is much more able than you or I, a heart that is dependent on him. Remember, all you need is a little bit of faith, that the size of a mustard seed. I believe. Help my unbelief. Now as we turn our minds to our upcoming week and think about celebrating our nation's independence tomorrow, I would ask that you consider these things. Admit that you are weak and live in a fallen world. Understand that there will be times that your faith in Christ is diluted. Don't limit Christ's abilities because of the weakness you have or the brokenness you see around you. He is not like you, and his ways are not your ways. Maybe instead of celebrating our country's independence, celebrate the fact that you can find power in truly having faith in Christ and that you are completely dependent on him. And despite what you might see in yourself or in the world around you, Jesus stands ready willing and able to help those who call on him. All these realizations should drive us to fervently call out to God. Depending on him instead of yourself will drive your desire to call out to him in prayer.
Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.